going to get this right today <laughs> after last week. If you would please turn to Mark chapter 12. We are reading verses 18 through 27 of God's holy infallible word. <laughs> Mark chapter 12. Verses 18 through 27. Very interesting text. Give clear attention to God's holy word. And Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And he asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and then he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring, last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Let's pray. We ask, O oh Lord, for your wisdom and also the conviction in our hearts that Christ is right in this text. Help us to understand how wonderful it is this day to be in Jesus Christ our risen Savior, who has raised from the dead on our behalf and has given to us by faith union that resurrection in which we wait ourselves for the glorious day of his final coming to us in resurrecting us body and soul to be with him forever and ever. What 
peace, what counsel, what joy it is to be in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Do you believe in life after death? That might be a little vague. <laughs> a lot of people in a lot of different religions believe in an afterlife. What about your soul? Do you believe you have a soul? Do you believe that it departs from your mortal body and lives forever. If the soul lives forever, where does it go? Where do you think your soul will go? What happens to our bodies when we die? What will happen to your body? Is it just buried in the ground or cremated into ashes? Is that the final end for our bodies? If you believe in the afterlife, how do you visualize that afterlife? Does eternal life in Christ does the power of the resurrection in Christ characterize your understanding of life after death? Well, we need to think seriously about these questions as we, as we participate in the words of our Savior this very day. We are entering into a crucial, dramatic interaction between Christ and the Sadducees that has pastoral significance for each of your lives. It is not only addressing you right now, but Christ is addressing how you understand your eternal existence beyond life here as a pilgrim on earth. After all, if you do not believe in the afterlife in the way that biblical revelation describes it, then the life of unbelief, the wicked described by Isaiah becomes the motto and how that vanity of life is on display all around us as Solomon also speaks. The voice of unbelief declares, let us eat, let us drink, for tomorrow we die. Unbelief will drown itself in the life of self pleasure that in reality can never find satisfaction. The pagan prophets, the rolling stones characterize perfectly the unbelief of our contemporary age. I can't get no satisfaction. 
so anything goes. For tomorrow we die. I am accountable to no one, surely not a supreme being, surely not my creator. Ironically, in the flow here of Mark's narrative in which Christ addressed the issue of taxes and now he addresses the subject of what happens to us after we die, a famous saying by an American, Benjamin Franklin, may apply to both of our texts here in sequence. You know the quote, in this world, Nothing can be said to be certain but death and taxes. It seems that the Sadducees are caught in the same worldview as Ben Franklin. We now come in our text to the third interrogation by the various Jewish parties against Christ. The first was the Sanhedrin challenging Jesus' authority for doing the things that he does. Second, the Sanhedrin sent the Pharisees and the Herodians with the goal to trap Christ about paying taxes to Caesar. Now is the third interrogation coming from a fourth Jewish party, the Sadducees coming to see if they can trap Christ on the issue of the resurrection. Who are these Sadducees? What distinguishes them from the other Jewish groups? The most distinguishing trait that most Christians are aware of is before us in this incident with Christ. They do not believe in the resurrection. Verse 18 of our text. Beyond that, we have limited biblical and extra biblical material into this Jewish group. They were of the governing upper class. They were very wealthy and a priestly line in Jerusalem who focused their understanding of their Jewish faith upon the Torah. What's the Torah? The first five books of the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, and were less interested in the rest of the Old Testament. As they approach Jesus, it is very important for us to understand two things about them. First of all, they believe that the first five books of the Bible written by Moses were the infallible word of God. Second, they believe that Moses nowhere, nowhere in those first five books of the Bible speaks of the resurrection of the dead. Now, please do not miss the fact that they were considered the masters, they considered even themselves the masters of biblical interpretation of the Torah, the first five books. So as they approach Jesus with this question to trap him, they are extremely confident that they can expose Jesus as a fraud in understanding and interpreting Moses in the book 
of the Torah. After all, who knows the Torah better than them? Surely not Jesus. Jesus is not the authority of interpreting the Torah. Their understanding is they are. We're the experts. The Sadducees, our party, is the expert in understanding what Moses writes. You see, congregation, the issue continues in each of these interrogations. Where does Jesus' authority come from? If it does not come from one of the Jewish groups who pride themselves as the authority to understand God, humans, and the world, then where else could Jesus' authority come from? The Sadducees claim that they have a very high authority behind them. <laughs> it is Moses and his written word. Can Jesus top Moses and the Sadducees' interpretation of Moses? Mark has already presented to his reader a clear understanding of the relationship that is between Jesus and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses has faded and disappeared along with his companion Elijah. And Jesus stands alone before Peter, James, and John as God the Father's voice from heaven rings out, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Mark 9, 7, the entire history of redemption points to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and his authority in heaven and on earth. The Sadducees do not have a clue. How about each of you this morning? Do you have a clue? Come into the text, come into the word inspired by the Holy Spirit, the spirit that has come into your heart. Join your spirit with the spirit of this word. And you, as you can see here in the text, the Sadducees address Jesus with the typical teacher-student relationship. They use the word teacher here, followed by an immediate pious reference to their authority, Moses, as they quote from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. They have masterfully crafted a hypothetical situation based upon that Deuteronomy text to stump Jesus. That's what's carried out in their hypothetical situation in verses 19 through 23 before you. Don't you know Jesus? Moses wrote. He wrote about if a brother dies, if man's brother dies, leaving a wife with no children, the brother, if he is not married, he must marry that widow. 
and therefore propagate that family's tree in terms of his brother. Yes. Let's say that this happens seven times. And finally, the woman dies in the resurrection. Who does she belong to? After all, she was the wife of seven husbands. <laughs> I want you to th think about this in terms of the drama of the text, please. <laughs> think about this, because you see, try to comprehend the confidence at this moment that the Sadducees must feel. They believe they have set up a situation which Jesus would not be able to answer. They've crafted this behind the scene. The woman had seven husbands. So who alone does she belong to in heaven if there is a resurrection at all? Furthermore, their confidence is probably oozing because they believe that Jesus, excuse me, that Moses is on their side in not believing in the resurrection, which is the crucial issue to this party, the Sadducees. How is Jesus going to respond? What's he going to say? Do they have him trapped as an opponent to Moses and to the word of God revealed in the Torah? the sacred word of God. For the Sadducees, it is quite simple. Does Jesus believe in Moses or not? Does Jesus believe what Moses wrote or doesn't he? As you look at Christ's response, Please notice how he opens his response in verse 24 and then how he ends his response in verse 27. In verse 24, notice, he says, you are wrong. Then at the end, in verse 27, he says, you are quite wrong. Now look closely at the opening point in verse 24. Jesus is quite direct, isn't he? Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. <laughs> wow, is this how you speak to someone to win them to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ himself? Jesus tells them that they are wrong right off the bat because about their knowledge, their understanding, and their interpretation of the scriptures of Moses, as well as they don't even comprehend the power of God. Pretty strong confrontation, isn't it? After all, they considered themselves once again to repeat the expert authority on what Moses wrote in the Torah. No one can possibly know more than they can. 
Well, Jesus gets right to the point of the failure to understand God's word in the Torah. He bluntly places what the scriptures teach immediately before them in verse 25. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Jesus tells them that there is, there is the resurrection from the dead. And that in heaven, there is no such thing as the practice of marriage in the way that it is done on earth. Indeed, those resurrected from the dead into heaven are like angels in heaven who are never married in the earthly sense. Now, as we focus on Christ's continuing response there in verse 26, Jesus is going to challenge the Sadducees on their own ground. Remember, they, are, they were committed that only the Torah, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible are the authoritative word of God. In their judgment, Moses nowhere in the Torah writes about the resurrection from the dead. Well, Jesus is now essentially saying to them, let us see if you are right about your interpretation. Let's see. Let us really see if you are the infallible and correct interpreters of Moses' writings. Let's see if you are. Jesus addresses their interpretation head on. Look at verse 26. As for the dead being raised, Jesus is addressing specifically the issue they are raising and amazingly is challenging their interpretation of Moses. In fact, Jesus is so blunt that he addresses them as if they have not ever read the book of Moses, the Torah. Moreover, he directs them to one of the premier passages that is burned in the heart of every single Jew. Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. The revelation of God out of the burning bush. I trust that this event is a treasure to all of us, every Christian believer as well. Well, do not miss how Jesus frames the question. Keep in mind here that they do not believe that he is the Messiah. So Jesus masterfully removes himself from being the center of attention to focus upon what God said in this passage. What God said in this passage. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? The Sadducees say that God and the writings of Moses are the ultimate authority for their lives. 
Well, what does God and Moses tell us about the resurrection? Which you say doesn't exist. What did God say to Moses? It's recorded in Exodus 3, 6. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now please stay with me here. That is what the text, Genesis, Exodus 3, 6 says. Now, at this point, Jesus switches from what the text says to the interpretation, the interpretation of the text and how you are to understand what God is saying. Now, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I plead with you to truly ask yourself, when you look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, do you see what Christ is about to say to the Sadducees? Test yourself in terms of whether you can interpret God's word. Do you see what Jesus is about to say to the Sadducees? Or would you interpret the passage of Exodus 3, 6 the same way the Sadducees do? No resurrection is in this text. No resurrection is in Exodus 3, 6. Is that how you would interpret it? This is crucial for each of us this morning. How do you read and interpret your Bible? How do you read and interpret the Bible in terms of the central event in your redemption, for your redemption, the death and resurrection of Christ. Please hear your Savior, your Christ. Remember what his Father has told you about his Son. Listen to him, Mark 9, 7. Are you listening to Jesus' interpretation to the Sadducees this morning? Are you listening? God's word to Moses is that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, of the living. Isn't that wonderful? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're alive. <laughs> they're alive. They have been resurrected already into the presence of their covenant Lord. As the author of Hebrews will tell us, they have moved on to a better country, a heavenly one. Hebrews eleven sixteen. 16. So these Sadducees 
who leave no room for the resurrection in the writings of Moses are told to their faces by Jesus that their interpretation of Moses, Jesus ends there by saying that it is quite wrong. In terms of the Greek, in terms of the Greek going into the English here, commentators say, they are dead wrong, no pun intended. <laughs> God is the authority in understanding Moses, and Jesus endorses God's interpretation, not the hopeless interpretation by the Sadducees. Well, not to be corny, but you may say that I am anyways. But there has been a way to speak of what the Sadducees taught so that we and our children remember their position. I can remember being taught this all the way back when I was in Sunday school. Maybe you have as well. It is again a play on their name. The Sadducees are sad. You see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. A nice little saying to your children to understand who the Sadducees are. Congregation, we must not overlook the choice of Christ, specifically using Exodus 3, 6 to the Sadducees. He is driving home the point of the continual resurrection and eternal life of the patriarchs as the fulfillment of God's covenantal promise to those children fathers in the faith. After all, God's covenant promises constitute the unchangeableness and faithfulness of his eternal being. As he says to Moses on the same occasion, which we read earlier in our service this morning from Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, I am who I am, the covenant the covenant is at the heart and soul of true biblical religion and the God of the Bible. This is why we must not be apologetic in this church for our commitment to the Reformed tradition's emphasis on the covenant. To not understand the covenant at the very core of biblical religion is to surrender a holistic interpretation of the Bible as well as to diminish the full counsel of God. The I am who I am pledges his covenant promise 
of redemption into the realm of eternity through resurrecting those who have died under the condemnation of their union with Adam's sin. God in covenant is unchangeable in his covenantal identity as I am. In his promise that started in Genesis 3.15 to redeem a people by his sovereign grace, which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and also given in terms of the covenantal sign of circumcision and baptism to infants and adults into eternity. Revelation 21.3, the language is there that abides all the way back to the patriarchs. And as we know from the vision of God to John, all those who come to Christ by repentance and faith and live their lives in covenant faithfulness before the holiness of God will have the eternal blessed inheritance of being included by grace into, right back, into the marriage feast of the Lamb when Christ's church, the bride, and Christ, the bridegroom, are united in the only, the only marriage that exists eternally in heaven. What a perfect marriage it is forever and ever, which those who believe in Christ will enjoy. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for your promises so clearly outlined from the beginning of the Bible to the end. We thank thee for your commitment to us through thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that there is even in terms of the wickedness of our hearts by nature, our union with Adam, there is redemption through Christ, the blood of the Lamb, and there is resurrection from the state of sin and death that we who believe in Christ will enjoy forever and ever. How we thank thee this morning that thou hast brought us to be the bride of Christ. In Christ's name, amen.